But let's consider that word that Jesus said on the cross. It's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 19. Verse 30, I'll look at just one verse with you. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. If you think about the first words that a person says in his or her life, they're not all that significant. Except to the parents, of course. The parents think that the goo-goo is monumental. It's recorded on video and passed out to relatives. And they swear they said their name. They said mom. They said dad or whatever. And so those are significant words to those who are parents, grandparents. But for the most part, our first words are just inarticulate moanings. But a person's last words, now those are significant. And depending on how you live your life, will in a large part determine your last expression in life, how you close out your life. So if you live your life with a sense of security, with a sense of faith in God, with a sense of determination because of what Christ has done for you, your last words will reflect that. If, however, you live life in despair, if you live life in uncertainty, your last words could be full of despair. Let me give you a couple of examples. In the 1700s, there was a skeptic, an atheist, in Scotland by the name of David Hume. He loved to take pot shots at Christians. His last words were four. I am five. I am in the flames. Imagine those being your last words on earth. I am in the flames, cried this self-proclaimed atheist. Another famous skeptic was Voltaire. Voltaire was French. He also didn't believe in Christ or the claims of Christ. He mocked Christianity publicly and he said, within 20 years, I will have abolished Christianity from Europe. However, when Voltaire died, it was a very different picture. His last words were this, and I quote, I am abandoned by God and by man. And then he said, Oh, Christ... Oh, Jesus Christ. And then he said, I am going to hell. He cried out all night such words. It was so dramatic that the nurse who attended Voltaire said, You could give me all the money in Europe, and I never, ever want to attend the death of another unbeliever in my life. Even people who accomplished great things had some interesting last words. Did you know that Mahatma Gandhi, when he died, said, for the first time in 50 years, I am in despair. I feel like I am in the slough of despond, borrowing a phrase from Pilgrim's Progress, interestingly enough. And then he said, as he was despairing of his life, that he too felt alone and abandoned.
Now, I contrast those last words with the last words of a woman that I saw in a hospital here in Albuquerque, a Presbyterian hospital a few years back. I knew that she was dying. I knew that she had hours to live. Cancer had consumed her body, and I walked into her room expecting everybody, including herself, to be in deep remorse. When I walked in the room, she sat up in her bed and she smiled, and she said, I'm ready to go home. Boy, I tell you what, when you live with the confidence of what Jesus Christ has done in washing away our sins and the hope of everlasting life, you die differently. Jesus' last words were also very significant. The last words from the cross. Now, the four Gospels declare that Jesus gave seven different statements while he hung on the cross. We know that he was on the cross for six hours from nine in the morning up till three in the afternoon. Six hours on a cross. Seven statements that he made from the cross. The first three statements he made during the first three hours. The first was a plea for forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The second was an assurance to a man who was crucified next to him on the cross who said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Verily I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. His third statement was to his mother who was at the foot of the cross with a disciple named John. And he said to her, Woman, behold your son. And then to John, Son, behold your mother. And from that day forward, John took care of Mary as his own mother. Those were the first three statements during the first three hours. Then the Bible tells us at 12 noon, darkness came over the land. Darkness came over the land. A great earthquake happened at the end of the crucifixion, but for three hours there was darkness over the entire land. It's, by the way, a darkness that is written about not only in the Bible, but in secular history. And it's sort of interesting. You might say, why darkness? Well, did you know that the Babylonian Talmud, a writing of the Jews, said that God reserves darkness for a very uncommon, dark kind of wickedness. God would use darkness to judge people. And they, in that passage, hearken back to the ninth plague in the book of Exodus when one of the judgments was darkness over the entire land of Egypt. Or if you look forward to the tribulation period, the fifth bowl of judgment poured out on the earth will be darkness. Well, after that, Jesus was at the end of his episode on the cross. And he gave four more statements. The first was a cry of abandonment that Paul Clark sung in his song. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, why have you forsaken me? The next statement was one of personal remorse and anxiety. I thirst. The sixth statement is the one we just read. It is finished. And the seventh statement, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus bowed his head and he died. 
Those are some of the greatest words Jesus ever spoke, and each one deserves a sermon of its own, but we're just going to consider for a few moments the sixth statement. It is finished. Think about it this way. While Jesus was doing his greatest work on earth, he was uttering some of his greatest words on earth, packed full of meaning. Now, that sixth statement, it is finished. Sounds predictable for someone who is about to die, but don't misunderstand the statement. Jesus isn't hanging on the cross saying, I am finished, as if to mean in a few hours I will be dead. Nor did Jesus say, we are finished. That would imply all the work I've done for the last three and a half years with my disciples, this movement of people believing in me, it's over. No, he didn't say that at all. He said, it is finished. The question is, what is it referring to? What does he mean, it is finished? Three words in English. It's only one word in the Greek language. The word tetelestai. From the word teleo. I finish, I complete, I accomplish, I pay my debt. You know, the Greeks had an incredible way of taking so much meaning and putting it in one single word. And this sixth statement on the cross was the single word, tetelestai. Let me tell you how it was used, and I think it will paint the picture for you as we take communion. It was a word that was used by several different people groups, not just Jesus on the cross. Servants used the word when they would accomplish a task for their master, they would come back to the master and the master would say to the servant, tetelestai, and the servant would utter, tetelestai back, it is finished, I've accomplished all that you asked me to do. Well, that fits perfectly with our Lord, doesn't it? Jesus came to this earth as a servant. He said, I must be about my father's business. He said that as a youth to his own mother in the temple. So Jesus didn't come to the earth as some big shot, as some sovereign king demanding to be crowned and honored with the finest of clothing. He came as a simple servant doing his father's will. It makes perfect sense that he would say as a servant to his father, it is finished. It was also a word that the priests in the temple used. You see, if you lived in that day and age, you would have to bring a lamb that was a male from the first year of its life without blemish. That's what the Bible says. A male without blemish. You would bring that little lamb to the priest. And the priest would look at it, examine it, make sure there's no defect. And he would say, Tetelestai. It's without blemish. And so was our Lord Jesus Christ. A lamb, Peter says, without spot and without blemish. Even when Jesus came to the Jordan River to be baptized, John the Baptist looked at him. John the Baptist, by the way, was the son of a priest. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. This is the perfect sacrifice. 
It was used in a third way. Artists sometimes used the word tetelestai. After they would paint a picture, they would step back from it and they would say, the picture is completed. It is tetelestai. Everything I wanted to express is now complete. Again, a perfect word for Jesus to utter on the cross. Because, you know, if you read just the Old Testament, you have an incomplete picture. You have predictions that are unfulfilled. You have types, shadows, and prophecy, all that paint an incomplete picture until you get to the New Testament. And you see the fulfillment of it all in Jesus Christ. And like an artist would step back from a canvas and say it is finished, once Jesus came to fulfill all of the Old Testament regulations, all of the Old Testament predictions, types and shadows, it could be said to Telestai. But there's a fourth way the word was used. I want you to consider that for just a few seconds. When merchants would sell something to somebody, and that somebody would give money in exchange for that item, a little receipt was given to the person making the purchase. And written or stamped on that piece of paper was the word tetelestai, which meant it is paid in full. You owe me nothing. The debt is canceled. It's all paid up. Again, a perfect word for our Lord on the cross. Why? Because we're all sinners. All of us. By nature, by choice. We have a huge debt that we can never pay. All of us, the Bible says, have fallen short of the glory of God. But the blood of Jesus Christ was the payment so that in making this transaction on the cross of His blood shed, Jesus could say, it is now paid in full. The debt that humanity could never pay, I have accomplished. And nothing more is owed, which means, Christian friend, beloved of God, you can't add anything to this. You can't try to be a better person so that God will love you more. God loves you the way you are. Now, He doesn't want you to stay the way you are, but He loves you the way you are. And then once He takes us and accepts us the way we are, then He changes us, doesn't He, from glory to glory into that same image. So Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Tetelestai, paid in full, accomplished. The picture is now done. But what was it exactly that was finished? When Jesus said those words, it is finished, tetelestai, paid in full, accomplished, picture is now complete. What was finished? Several things. First of all, the horrendous sufferings of Jesus Christ throughout His life, and especially in the last few hours of His life, were about to be over. Man had done his worst, put him up on a cross, hurled insults at him, and all of that was now finished. He would never hear their mouths speaking blasphemy, mocking Him, cursing Him. He would never have to feel abandoned by God as he did on the cross. That was all finished. There was something else that was finished. The righteous requirements of the law were finished. Now listen carefully. 
the law of God in the Bible. We have broken God's law. And no person in history has ever been able to fulfill all of the righteous requirements of the law. That's why when people read the law in the Old Testament, they feel condemned. Every now and then, somebody will say, well, you know, uh, I don't really have any particular religion. I live by the Ten Commandments. I keep the Ten Commandments. That's all the religion I need. And I say, well, you just broke one of them, which is you shall not bear false witness. You just lied. We all break the Ten Commandments, either in our hearts or out in the open. We can't keep the law. We failed. We've broken it. Even if you've just broken one of God's commandments, it says in the Bible, you're guilty of breaking them all. All of them. But Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 2 that God took the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, taking it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So when Jesus died, finished were all of the finger pointers that would say, you have to keep the law of God. You stand and you say, I can't do it. But it's fulfilled and completed in Him. All that is over. It's completed. It's finished. Something else is finished when Jesus died on the cross. The power of Satan to hold a life in bondage is broken, was broken at the cross. That doesn't mean Satan has gone away. Listen, he's very active. We know that. And he wrecks havoc in lives of people who allow him to do so. But effectively, what the Bible tells us is that God destroyed the power of death at the cross. And he said the power of Satan through death on the cross. So that whatever bondage the devil would want to keep you in. You don't have to live in that anymore. Those chains were broken at the cross. And fourth and finally, our redemption was finished. Our redemption was finished at the cross. As I said, you can't add to it. You can't earn it. You can't take anything from it. It is finished. The great word of the gospel is not do The word of the gospel is done. Religion says do. God says done. Do this and live, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. A better word the gospel brings. It bids us fly and then it gives us wings. So at the cross, it's done. It's over. It's paid for. It's accomplished. And we can take these elements resting in that fact. It is finished. Can't add to it. Can't subtract anything from it. I want you to consider how significant this day is and why we celebrate it. Why so much emphasis during this week that some call Holy Week and then Good Friday and then Easter Sunday? Because the bulk of of the four Gospels deal with the final day of Jesus on earth. If you were to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all those four written testimonies only give you four chapters, 
four chapters only that deal with the first 30 years of Jesus' life on earth. Only four chapters. 85 chapters deal with the last three and a half years of Jesus' life. So can you see the emphasis that these authors have in their writings? Four chapters can quickly deal with the first few years of Jesus. 85 chapters for the last three and a half years. Of those 85 chapters, 29 of them deal with the last week of Jesus on earth. And 13 of those 29 cover only the last day of Jesus on earth. So what was the huge emphasis of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? The last day because of what Jesus accomplished. Why so much emphasis on that? Because the cross wasn't a mistake. It was a plan. Revelation says he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. cross was not a mistake. When Jesus was put on a cross, God didn't go, oops. The son could say, it is finished, accomplished, paid in full. The picture is now completed. In fact, Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. And what we are celebrating today is the giving of Jesus' life, the laying down voluntarily of that life. And in a couple of days, we're going to be celebrating the second part of that statement. I have the power to take it up again in the resurrection. Friend, through the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your sins have been dealt with. This is a once and for all act we're celebrating. The redemption on the cross was done. It doesn't have to be repeated over and over and over again. It's over. It's done. Paid in full, accomplished. So when you take the elements today, you take them with complete confidence that God is not holding your sins against you, that you can't earn or add or do anything else. You can receive only. And the only thing you can give is, thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. So as you have received Christ into your heart, you receive these elements by faith. Now, if you haven't done that, and I have a hunch that a few have gathered with friends and family and decided to be a part of this service, and you're so welcome, we're glad you came. But if you haven't really dealt with Jesus Christ, if you haven't asked Jesus to be your Savior, If you haven't said, forgive my sins, Lord, I turn from my sins and I turn my life to you. If you haven't done that, then to take these elements would be a mockery, wouldn't it? Because you're taking the very things that we believe represent the shed blood of Jesus Christ and broken body to take away our sins. If you haven't turned to Jesus to take away your sins, it's a mockery. So we ask you to do one of two things, and I hope you'll do the second, not the first. Option number one, don't take these elements. Pass them on to the next person. That's just being honest. You're saying, I want to live like David Hume or Voltaire or Gandhi. I'm not going to receive Jesus as the only hope for my sins. 
Don't just do a religious thing and take the elements. Pass them on. Option number two, and we hope you'll take this one. You'll ask Jesus right now into your life to be master, controller, savior, and let him transform your life from this day forward so that you will be like that centurion who is at the foot of the cross who finally, after Jesus died, said, Surely this was the Son of God. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, when your Son came to this earth, he was despised, he was rejected by most people, scoffed at, not believed in, though many miracles were done and great words were stated, though he fulfilled your plan in the prophetic scriptures so that it would be unmistakable that this was the one selected in all of history to be the Messiah, to be the Savior, to be the Lord. Many did not receive. Some did. Lord, see us here gathered. And as we are gathered, surely you look upon this assembly And it pleases your heart to see so many in love with you, worshiping you on this Good Friday. Lord, it's our prayer that if there's anything that is blocking our fellowship with you, that we as believers would confess it and receive your forgiveness, knowing that it is finished, accomplished, it's done. Father, for those, maybe just a few, who have never honestly, authentically, from their heart, turned to you, we pray that this Good Friday would be the day they do that. If you're sitting here and you're listening to this and you're thinking in your mind, I'm one of them. I haven't really given my life to Christ. I have not asked him to be my burden bearer and my sin bearer. I don't have a relationship with God through Christ. I haven't yet repented of my sins, but I want to. Then right where you're sitting, I want you to say this. You can say it out loud if you want. Lord, I give you my life. I know I'm a sinner. I turn from my sins. I turn from my past. I turn my life to you. I believe Jesus came to this earth and died for my sins and paid the penalty in full. And I believe he rose from the dead for me. So I give you my life. And I pray that I might walk in fellowship and joy with you. In Jesus' name, amen.